that something must be wrong. So, take two. Gary and Sue are on vacation this week. I'm John Peters. I'm a pastoral intern here at the bridge. Uh, Jerry and Sue are on vacation this week. Briefly about myself, married to a wonderful wife, uh, Holly, for nearly 14 years. We have four kids, ages 2 to 10. Um, I'm a proud Wisconsin Badger, graduate of UW-Madison, and then later uh, Dallas Theological Seminary. I'm thrilled to have the opportunity to come before you today. Um, my wife and I have uh, are Eau Claire natives, but we've lived in Texas and then later in Ireland where we served with a, an Irish church pastor uh, just outside of Dublin. And since returning to Eau Claire in 2011, I've had the, I've had the privilege to uh, meet many of you and serve in growth groups and serve on the Bridge Leadership Team as well. So I'm here because I believe the gospel of Christ is the hope of the world and that the church of Jesus Christ is God's primary way to communicate and demonstrate and live out that hope. And so I think we have an awesome calling as a church, and uh, there's no place that I would rather be than here this morning with you. I'll pray as we get started. Father God, uh, we pray just for your grace and your peace. We thank you. Um, You are our creator. You've given us every good thing, uh, more than we deserve. Father, uh, even though we fall short in so many ways, you are gracious. You have sent your Son, Christ, and through his life, death, and resurrection, we have love and life and hope. Father, you've given us an awesome call as the church uh, to be your hands and feet in this world, to lift your name up, and to expand your kingdom. I pray for um, the time this morning as we walk through your word. In the name of your Son and power of your Spirit, amen. In a second here, we'll have a slide. July 10th, 2013. This was a view that my wife Holly and I enjoyed. We had just flown to Canada. We'd flown into Calgary on a 10th wedding anniversary trip. It was great. As soon as we checked in and picked up our car and started driving west, you could see the mountains on the horizon. It was gorgeous. We, at least a half dozen times, would stop on the side of the road, get out, and take pictures. We were just blown over by God's beauty and uh, this glorious creation that we were able to enjoy. It was like the Garden of Eden in Canada, where even the snakes are polite. But I could think of no better backdrop for the passage that we'll walk through in Psalm 121 this morning than the pictures that I know we had taken a couple years back. And so this morning, if you would uh, follow with me in Psalm 121, this will be our passage, beginning in verse 1. The Psalms are right in the middle of the Bible. So we'll give you a moment to to open up there. Psalm 121, verse 1. I lift up my eyes to the mountains. Where does my help come from? My help comes from the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. He will not let your foot slip, and he who watches over you will not slumber. Indeed, he who watches over Israel will neither slumber nor sleep. The Lord watches over you. 
The Lord is your shade at your right hand. The sun will not harm you by day, nor the moon by night. The Lord will keep you from all harm. He will watch over your life. The Lord will watch over your coming and your going, both now and forevermore. Fast forward a few years. December 13th, 2015. I wrote that psalm in this journal. This was a little over a week after my wife Holly had been diagnosed with uh, stage 3 breast cancer. And that began a journey for her and for our whole family. And throughout that, she amazed me with her grace and her strength. And I had the privilege to walk alongside her. And I haven't journaled much before then, but the circumstances changing, there I was reading and writing. And I don't remember how or why I had come across that particular psalm. I know from a quick devotional perspective, it's apparent that the words are of a writer seeking God's strength and assurance his safety through constant attention. And a devotional perspective was about all the energy I had to muster at that time. The psalm reflects anxiety at the beginning and uncertainty, and I was certainly experiencing both. And looking back, I was reminded of the earlier trip Holly and I had taken to Canada two years before. But the journey we would travel now was quite different. The picturesque landscape views of our earlier trip were now replaced with confusing views of PET scans, MRIs, and mammograms. The beautiful mountain landscape was replaced with views of sterile doctor's offices and appointments lasting hours. The mountain road was replaced with views of Highway 85 in southeastern Wisconsin on the way to Rochester for treatment, surgery, and and, um, radiation. And the views of our tourist books were replaced with kids' books that we would read to our kids to try to explain uh, why their mom was losing her hair. So as the initial shot, and a chance to dwell on them, a chance to return to these verses in this psalm. More chance to dwell on them further, to walk and journey with them. More, uh, more so than just a devotional perspective, but a deeper examination. And I know this song has helped me walk through a difficult time. And my prayer this morning is that um, it would help you as well both today and and, uh, in times of uncertainty in the future. The Psalms are the prayer book of God's people and have been for over 3,000 years. They were the prayer book and the song book that Jesus would have used. He used them in his teaching. He sang them at the Last Supper. And he quoted Psalms from the cross. And this morning we'll look at one particular psalm, Psalm 121. And we'll be singing a song that Jesus sang. Now the thing is, I don't know the tune or the melody or what if any instruments were used with it. But if you have four other things that I would offer, 
for us to remember as we walk through this psalm. We have an image, a question, a truth, and an application. And I know this song, this prayer song, has helped God's people for thousands of years. And so I invite you to walk with me this morning as fellow pilgrims traveling together through God's Word. Now, most songs have a title, and this one is no exception. At the beginning of the passage in most of your Bibles, it'll say something like Song of Ascents or Pilgrim Songs. This means to go up. The word, the Hebrew word used as ascent is used elsewhere in the Old Testament to describe going up to the temple. And in this song, this Song of Ascents, it's part of a, a group of 15 songs in total called the Pilgrim Songs or the Songs of Ascent. And these were sung by Jewish pilgrims as they traveled to the temple three times throughout the year in the Old Testament. In Deuteronomy 16, it's commanded that, uh, that faithful Jews would travel to the temple to offer sacrifices and offerings to God. The temple was a geographic center of worship in Israel, and the Ark of the Covenant was kept there containing the law. The priests would minister in the temple, and the people would pray and worship there. The three major festivals, the Festival of Weeks, the Festival of Booths, and Passover, were commanded to be celebrated with these pilgrimages. So the first image I want you to remember is the one we've seen already of a mountain road, of travelers on a journey in a mountain road. And when you read Psalm 121, I want that image to be pressed into your heart and mind. And returning to the passage, verse 1, I lift up my eyes to the mountains. Where does my help come from? Now, verse 1 indicates a writer looking up to the sky in, in anticipation of supernatural help. He assumes the dramatic role of one needing help. Now, the mountains and the hills in the Hebrew Scriptures have both good and negative connotations. On the positive side, there are instances where the mountains refer to the mountain of God. Psalm 2, for, for example, says, But as for me... I have installed my king upon Zion, my holy mountain. And so there are several references throughout the Old Testament where uh, the mountains connotate the mountain of God in Zion, in Jerusalem. Alternatively, we know from other prophets like Jeremiah that the mountains also in Judea would house the shrines and temples to false gods, to idols. And so in Jeremiah 3, the prophet writes, Surely the idolatrous commotion of the hills and the mountains is a deception. So we have other biblical record, another archaeological record, where there are all, all these pagan shrines throughout the Judean hills and the mountains. And so the pilgrim, the songwriter, is presented with a choice to worship God Yahweh, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, in the temple in Jerusalem, or to be distracted with other gods that they might see along the way. 
And that's our same choice as well. We have a question, where does my help come from? Now, we tend to think of idols as ancient history. We think of them as not something that we in the Western world typically deal with. But in reality, idolatry is something faced by people all throughout history. Martin Luther writes that the human heart is an idol factory. And the thing is, they're not just bad things. Sometimes idols can be good things that we elevate above God. Any good thing that becomes a God thing becomes an idol in our hearts. And during my journey this past year, one of the things I quickly realized were some of the idols that I had in my heart. I realized that uh, even unintentionally, I had built up these, these idols that, uh, that put my role as a protector above God's role as a protector for my wife. And I see as these idols came crumbling down because I could not protect Holly from what was going on in her body. I never intended to look at it that way. I probably would ne- never would have described thinking about it that way before this trial. But in reality and in reflection, I realized that's how I had functioned. That God alone was the primary protector for my wife and my family. And that's not to diminish my role as a husband. It's a very good thing for a husband. It's a biblical thing for a husband to be a protector of his wife. But God alone is the first and primary protector for my wife and my family. And that became readily evident, readily evident throughout this whole trial. There's one quote that stuck with me I read this past year. It says, when pain and suffering come upon us, we finally see that not only were we not in control of our lives, but that we never were. Continuing in the passage, verse 1, I lift up my eyes to the mountains. Where does my help come from? My help comes from the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. The songwriter chooses the one true God of the Bible. And the first trait that he uses to describe God is the maker of heaven and earth. This is a phrase that's repeated throughout the songs of ascent. In fact, it's one of the key and central themes to this collection of songs. The maker of heaven and earth, Psalm 124, Psalm 134. In fact, it's the last verse of the last song in this album. God is the maker of heaven and earth. This is so central to the Christian faith. The church has added it from the very beginning. The Apostles' Creed, one of the first descriptions of God. I believe in God the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. And so our question, where does my help come from? From the creator God? or from a God of my own creation. Any good thing 
that becomes a God thing becomes an idol of the heart. Continuing on in verse 3. He will not let your foot slip. He who watches over you will not slumber. Indeed, he who watches over Israel will neither slumber nor sleep. The Lord watches over you. The Lord is your shade at your right hand. The sun will not harm you by day, nor the moon by night. The Lord will keep you from all harm. He will watch over your life. The Lord will watch over your coming and going, both now and forevermore. Now perhaps you noticed a repeated theme throughout that passage. Six times, in fact, the word watch or keep, or guardian, depending on your translation. Those are all the same Hebrew word. Six times that's repeated. The truth that your God is not impersonal, that He is not preoccupied with other things, that He watches over you, this truth that you are not alone. That you are not alone, that God is ever aware, that He never sleeps, that that He never leaves you. The words of one of the songs that we, we just sung this morning. Never once did he leave us on our own. This is also a dig at some of the false idols, perhaps, in the, uh, the Judean countryside. Some of those gods, gods to the sun and the moon and, and other false deities, did in fact need to sleep based on their mythology. And so here the songwriter emphasizes a truth that not only contrasts it with false gods at that time, but that is something that we in any pilgrim can hold on to, that you are not alone. And this counters one of the easiest lies to believe during a time of trial, the lie that you are somehow alone, the lie that that struggle is yours to bear alone, that you are isolated from an impersonal God, and that you are isolated from others. Those are all lies that are easy to fall into during times of of trial, but this psalm speaks truth. You are not alone. And so in going back through the song, I'm confronted with an image, a question, this truth. But there's one thing in the passage that I really had to wrestle with, and struggle with throughout this process, honestly. Returning to verse 3, he will not let your foot slip. Verse 5, the shade at your right hand. Verse 6, the sun will not harm you by day. All examples of dangers that a pilgrim reading and singing this song would experience in that time. Sure footing on mountain trails, the right hand being the dominant uh, useful hand in that culture. Protection from the hot sun during travel and dangers and bandits at night. And then an all-encompassing verse 7. The Lord will keep you from all harm. He will watch over your life. And so I'm thinking, what does it mean to keep from all harm? That word repeated six times throughout that passage. In my mind and vocabulary, it seems logical to think that being kept from harm means you're not explaining 
to your four-year-old while their mom is losing her hair. And so it did make sense. And it still doesn't, to be honest. But I have come to the realization that maybe God's idea of being kept and mine may be dramatically different. Reminded me a quote from St. Augustine. He said, If you understand God fully, he would not be God. And I was humbled by how finite my understanding must be. And when confronted with that idea, that any God I could fully understand would indeed be a God of my own creation, I was humbled. Now, in some of the moments of greatest emotional struggle, struggle I found is when I appreciate humor the most. And um, this did remind me of a, a story told to me by an old Irish farmer uh, when Holly and I were serving in a church outside of Dublin. His name was PJ, and he was, he was a pretty affable guy himself and had a good-natured sense of humor. And he said, uh, knowing that I had lived in Texas and was now living in Ireland, he thought this was particularly appropriate. And PJ tells a story like this. He says, there was an old Texas cattle rancher who had a large Texas cattle ranch, and he visited Ireland one time on a trip tracking down relatives. And he happened upon the local pub, and he sat next to an old Irish farmer. And the two of them struck up a conversation, and they came to find out that they actually had a lot in common with their agricultural backgrounds. And the Texan was trying to figure out how he could describe this vast Texas ranch he had to this Irish farmer. And this is about the time, like, PJ would, because Irish farms aren't, aren't that big by U.S. standards. And so he said, then the Texan said, let me put it this way. If I got into my truck at sunrise and drove all day, by sunset, I might be at the edge of my ranch. And so the old Irish farmer thought about that for a minute. And he said, yeah, I had a truck like that once too. <laughs> and then PJ just lost it. I mean, he was like, you've never seen an Irish man laugh so hard in your life. Well, I was humbled because I came to understand that I was like that Irish farmer that, just as that farmer had some fixed definition of what a farm was, and here somebody else was trying to describe something that was beyond what they could comprehend, he thought something was broken. It's got to be the truck. The farm can't be that big. And here I'm reading through this song, and I come across a word like keep. And I have a pretty fixed definition of what I think that is. Well, it can't mean that we're going to go through all this harm. And so here the songwriter is trying to describe to me something that's so beyond my comprehension. And I'm thinking that God's vocabulary is broken. I was not alone, 
but that doesn't mean I understood why. But the song does tell me a little bit more about who God is. Number one, that he's a God of eternity. Verse two, my, God, my help comes from the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. And ending in verse 8, the Lord will watch over your coming and your going, both now and forevermore. So from before the world was created, before time began, God was. The maker of heaven and earth, who will watch over you both now in the present and forevermore into eternity. So I don't know why, but I know more about who God is, that he is a God of eternal perspective above and beyond anything I could grasp. And number two, he was a God who sent his son to earth. Remember, this song was sung by Jewish pilgrims on the way to the temple. Jesus was a devout Jew. He would have pilgrimaged to the temple in obedience to Deuteronomy 16. And a few weeks before his death, Jesus would have entered Jerusalem with a band of pilgrims, what we'll soon celebrate as Palm Sunday, riding on a donkey, and Jesus himself would have sung these psalms of ascent as they went up to Jerusalem. And he would have sung Psalm 121, the very passage we're reading through tonight, or this morning. We were singing a song that Jesus sang on his way to Jerusalem, knowing what what lay ahead. He would celebrate Passover in a whole new way. He would redefine it, in fact. He would demonstrate that he himself was a Passover lamb, that his blood needed to be shed to cover our sin. He, in fact, would redefine the temple that he was God's dwelling with man. And Christianity alone says that God became fully human in Jesus Christ. He knows physical pain, poverty, bereavement, torture, loss, even death. Emmanuel, God with us, even in our worst suffering. So I may not know why, but I know more about who God is, that he is the God of eternity, that he is the God that sent his only son who experienced all pain, even to the point of death. Psalm 121 calls out this truth that you are not alone. He alone, he, Jesus, was alone on the cross, taking the punishment for our sins so that we would never have to be alone. We have an image, a question, this truth. I have a mountain journey. Where does my help come from? From the Creator God or a God of my own creation? And that we are not alone. We have a God who, walks with, who watches over us, 
We have a Savior who has walked with us and experienced every pain that we experience. And now an application. That if you are personally experiencing trials, this, this psalm and many of the psalms model so many of the helpful ways that have been meaningful to me over the past year. Walking in community, writing, praying, singing. But I would focus on one in particular as an application that when in doubt, write. When in doubt, write. When you're doubting God, when you're at the depths of your sorrow, find a journal and write. This is what the Psalms are. They are prayer songs, of many of which are writers going through grief and struggle, pouring their hearts and minds out to God. Real, open, honest emotions, raw. They don't all end wrapped up. There's several songs that the writer is still in the midst of grief. When in doubt, I urge you to write. That's the first application. The second application, as a church, what can we take away? Well, one of the things we know about these psalms, the songs of ascent, and this one in particular, 121, is that it's communal in nature. Verses 1 and 2 come from a specific voice. The following verses are a different voice, and some of that gets into the, the Hebrew, of, um, but the commentators unanimous, unanimously identify at least two, if not three, voices in this passage, that it was made to be a call-and-response song. This wasn't just sung by somebody alone singing by themselves. These were sung in groups of pilgrims traveling together. One person would sing out a couple verses. The rest of the group would answer them. This is a communal song. And so as a church, it highlights our awesome mission to be a community together and to walk with people who are going through trial. I believe the application is just the same. When in doubt, write. Write the text. Write the note of encouragement. Write the invitation. Hey, why don't you... uh, I'm going running. Would you want to join me? I'm going to get coffee. Would you want to join me? As a church, one of the most helpful things we found throughout this past year that we were the blessings of our notes and encouragement and quick texts, emails. As a church, when in doubt, write. Write to the person. Now, earlier I had lamented how the views from our anniversary trip had been replaced by views of doctor's offices and But I'm blessed to say that throughout the year, those views of doctor's offices were replaced in our minds with the views of meals that we would receive Uh, from many of you and from other friends and family. 
those views of um, were replaced with notes that Holly would receive of encouragement and and um, just love, and they were replaced with um, just the hands and feet of Christ shown by our church, shown by you guys, and shown by other friends that we have that are believers and friends that that came alongside us and walked with us and loved us through this time. And so, on behalf of my family, thank you, thank you, thank you. We have such an awesome calling as the Church of Jesus Christ. So I don't know the tune or the melody of this song, but I do want you to remember an image, a question, a truth, and an application. Please pray with me. Father, you are our creator God. You you are above and beyond what we can hope to know fully because you are God. And Father, I, I just am broken by how humbled um, my own finite understanding of you has been. But Father, I'm so grateful for the church that you have uh, blessed us with. I'm so grateful uh, for the awesome mission you've called us to as a church to walk alongside others in grief and in trial. Um, Father, the life and death of your Son gives us hope that he knew every pain that we experience. But his resurrection means that he has overcome death and that through faith in him that we too can have life and hope. And now as the church, we we have the privilege of expanding your kingdom here and communicating hope and the life of your gospel. I thank you. I thank you. I thank you. Amen.